This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I should say we are hosts, but we are also realtors with Oakland Realty in Vancouver. So fired up for today because we've got Douglas Porter. He's the chief economist of the Bank of Montreal, BMO, some might say. Some might call it BMO. This is, well, let's just call it for what it is. Right. This is, we called an audible. We had another episode lined up, but what happened was... Corey Wright on the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast landed Douglas Porter. Yes. And then Corey and I sat down with Douglas Porter, chief economist at BMO, well-known, if you ever follow along Bloomberg, the rest, well-known staple in the, in the financial world. We had a half-hour conversation with him. I thought it was so timely and so good. I said, Adam, we got we to gotta drop this on both. So Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast but also the Vancouver Real Estate well, Podcast. There are, there are, there's a lot of overlap between the commercial and the residential show, but there's also a lot of people that don't necessarily care about commercial real estate as much as they do residential. Well, and here's the thing about this conversation. I mean, we talk a lot about real estate, but it's not necessarily asset class specific or residential or commercial. Right. This is more of a what's going on in the Canadian economy, what's coming up, what are his thoughts on the next year, year and a half, 18 months. And it's very specific to this moment. So it's just a useful, useful conversation, I think, for anyone. When you get 30 minutes from Douglas Porter, you put it out on both shows. <laughs> that, that is exactly it. So stay tuned for that. It's, uh, it, it's a good one. I can't wait to re-listen to this. Yeah, for sure, Matt. And before we get to this conversation with Douglas Porter, we should say... The episode we bumped is phenomenal. That's coming out the phone. Oh, and there's day. no disrespect. Yeah. No and, disrespect. And there's so many good episodes coming. We're not even going to say what it was. This is only, just the reason we know. Exactly. And the thing about the Douglas Porter conversation is it's just very timely. If we put this out two, three weeks from now, who knows what data comes out that uh, totally uh, changes, the, changes the, the, the entire economic world. Are you so, saying that it's not predictable these it, times? It, these times are a little uncertain. So stay tuned for that. This is a good one. Yeah, Matt. And before we get to that, we should say we are sponsored by Scalina Real Estate. This is our real estate company. We help people buy and sell in the lower mainland. And today's featured listing is over at the Lumiere building, 1867 Alberni Street, unit 1702, which is actually in the West End. It borders Coal Harbor. I see. And I, yeah, I was always thinking that was Coal Harbor. No, no, it, it's it's actually classified as the West End, but West of Denman. I love this building. I've always loved this building. It's it's just, a it's such a beautiful build. It's got AC. It's got a full-time concierge. It's there uh, Monday through Friday. Overheight ceilings. The level of finish for the time it was built stood the test of time. And what, uh, what year was it built? And what, is this a two-bed, one-bed? 2004, it was built. It's a two-bed, two-bath with a den and just phenomenal, uh, beautiful, beautiful plan. Um, and really, the nice thing is you get the Coal Harbor views. So you get kind of the North Shore Mountains, you get Lost Lagoon, you get everything just north. And then you also get English Bay 
which is phenomenal. And then you get really great city views. And the thing that I love, just just quick note about Alberni. Alberni right now, if you look at the level of like the type of builds that are being built along Alberni, like this is some of the nicest real estate in Canada that's being put up yeah. along Alberni. North America, uh, maybe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's unbelievable the stuff that's being built along Alberni. So I think it's a fantastic investment, even if you're planning on living in it, which this is very much got that end user kind of feel to it. Well, it's a it's a beautiful listing. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We have our featured listings there right now. And you can also click the sold plan or sell with us yep. to get the sold plan when you're there. Yeah. And the sold plan, our most downloaded document is, of course, a step-by-step guide for how to get your property ready for market. It's free. It's available on our website. You as the listener, if you have a property that you are thinking about selling, get the sold plan. But even if you don't, even if you just want this, it's great. It's great to get your house in order even. Uh, Never mind if you are an agent or someone in the industry and you want to download this document. It's an instant download. You click, you get it. That's all it is. And uh, it's worth having. Absolutely. VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Hit sell with us. Adam, uh, one more thing before we cut to our talk with Douglas Porter. Two things, actually. One is, didn't do the five wire. Uh, okay. We caught him in TO. This uh, is a late, Corey. This is Corey Wright and, and myself. Even, haven't you haven't heard, heard this. this. No, so we didn't do the five wire because we had a hard cutoff. So this is a half hour that is literally jam-packed. Okay, yes. so that's one thing. And second uh, is we got to talk about Jaden Lee. Yeah, this so is coming up really soon. This really is coming quick. up. I've been running uh, every second, third day. And this has been running through my mind. I was going to say, I think running, running. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, I've been running all over East Van in preparation. October 6th, Jaden Lee is running starting at 3 p.m. after his last check-in at BC Children's Hospital. He's running back to Chilliwack. This is going to be 100 miles. He's taken the long way home. Yes. He's running 100 miles, as everybody knows who listens to the show. He's trying to raise $150,000 for BC Children's Hospital. His episode is a phenomenal episode if you want to be inspired. Even if you don't want to go back and listen to Jaden Lee's episode, you definitely want to donate to this cause. There's a secured link on our Instagram, at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. There's a secured link in the Live Wire, which is our weekly mailer, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Sign up for it there. Or you can go straight to the source, underscore Jaden Lee on Instagram. Yeah, just at underscore Jaden Lee. And that's J-A-Y-D-E-N-L-E-E. Yes. Tons of people from the V-Rep community, I think, are coming out to we run. We see you. We see you, V-Rep community. <laughs> it's uh, it's unbelievable how many people have donated. And uh, I just checked the other day. Who, who just... Of, well, I, let's... let's uh, I don't know if people want to be pointed out, but we see you. There's been some whoppers uh, donated, uh, which is uh, just incredible to see people that have been on the show that have donated, or yeah. people that have been in the community that have donated. Yeah, we love you for that. This so this much. is going to be the feel-good running event of the uh, of the fall. Can't wait for that, Matt. Without further ado, Douglas Porter, Chief Economist at BMO. Enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Berquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, 
and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Okay, we're here with Doug Porter, Chief Economist at BMO. How you doing, Doug? I'm doing well, and thanks for having me. Yeah, no, th- thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, we really appreciate it. We always start our show by asking our guests, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. I've uh, actually been uh, an economist uh, for my entire career. I, I, I know that sounds very exciting. Um, <laughs> I, I, I started at the... Uh, Started at the Bank of Canada back in uh, in the early 1980s, but I've been on Bay Street since 1984. Most of the time, not all of it. Most of it has been with the Bank of Montreal, and I've I've been a chief economist uh, here in Toronto uh, with with the bank for uh, for a little bit more than 10 years. Uh, I manage a team of, um, of of about 16 people, a couple of whom are now in San Francisco. We uh, we just recently acquired the Bank of the West, which is now part of. So we have a small economics group in uh, in, in San Francisco now, um, and I would I would assert or suggest that uh, that we're probably the best uh, best economic shop in Canada. <laughs> well, Doug, uh, like I said, for those who listen to the podcast, you need no introduction. We appreciate you taking the time. By far, the most requested guest we always get is to have you back. So we appreciate that. So I guess I'll, I'll lead off with the questions. I know we've been we've been looking forward to this. What's going on? How <laughs> interest rates are up? Inflation seems to be up over last month's stats. Can you maybe just give us a, a quick, just broad strokes of just where we're at right now before we can sort of dig into some stuff in more detail? So I think the really big story, and, and arguably this has been the story, the economic story for, for 2023, is just how resilient uh, the North American and the, and the global economy have been. When you think back to a year ago, it was pretty much conventional wisdom, and I, I would say the consensus forecast. Uh, that North America and Canada specifically were going to go through at least a mild recession this year. That has not happened. Uh, I'm not going to tell you that the Canadian economy has been a, a ball of strength. It hasn't been. Um, but it's 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 held up better than I think most expected. And definitely the U.S. economy has held up better than expected. And mostly as a result of this, we find ourselves with higher interest rates than I think anybody really expected a year ago. Uh, the Fed you know, has made no promises about being finished raising interest rates. The Bank of Canada has made no promises. And and maybe the, you know, the major story here in the last couple months in financial markets is that, that long-term interest rates, bond yields are just grinding higher. And, you know, for instance, uh, as, as, as we speak, uh, 10-year yields in Canada and the U.S. are at levels that we haven't seen since 2007. So basically, you have to go all the way back to before the global financial crisis since we've seen yields at, at these kind of levels. And, you know, just, just to put in perspective, like recently we had the, the 10-year yield in the U.S. touch 4.5%. It was just 4% at the end of July. It was 3.5% at 
back in May. That you know that is arguably one of the most important interest rates in the world, and it's gone up by roughly a hundred basis points in a matter of a few months. That's that's a big deal, and and again, a lot of it just goes back to this underlying theme of economic resilience, and and frankly, what that means is higher rates for longer. I, how do you think about the resilience, Doug? Because I think it, it's caught everybody a little bit off guard. What what accounts for the resilience in the North American and Canadian economy? Well, there there are a few things to point to, but I would I would say the overall story has been the consumer, and a lot of it just goes back to the fact that uh, consumers in both Canada and the U.S. were sitting on a lot of savings after the the pandemic. Now. And I still believe there was a lot of pent-up demand, too, for things like travel and entertainment. I mean, look at the demand for Taylor Swift tickets. Maybe that's a bad example, a rather nope. rather specific example. <laughs> um, but uh, there's a lot of demand still for, for travel and entertainment in, in particular. And, you know, as I said, consumers were sitting on a lot of savings. We, we knew that coming into this year. We just didn't know how that would stack up against the big rate hikes that we've seen and so there was a bit of a debate who would win that battle, and it's pretty obvious that pent up demand and the extra savings dominated uh, the rise in interest rates. And so uh, I, I think it really does simply go back to the consumer. I, th- I think the other piece of the puzzle is that the, the labor market is still pretty strong. Like, and, and we'll get into this later. I think you know we have seen some softening in in the labor market a, a little bit around the edges. But the big story there is we, you know, we've still got one of the lowest jobless rates that we've seen in in decades, in both Canada and the U.S. And you know, even though there's been some cooling, we've still been adding a lot of jobs in both economies. So underlying income growth has remained relatively firm throughout this uh, this episode. And so, you know, uh, ultimately, it's been the consumer who still managed to to slog ahead, even even in the face of a dramatic run up in interest rates. Doug, do we kind of nail the soft landing or or do you see Canada heading into a recession either by the end of this year or early 2024? So I personally still think that's very much an open question. Uh, you know, it, at some point in recent months, it's uh, we, we, we've seen Wall Street almost act as if the U.S. has achieved a soft landing. There, there have been a few more questions about that in, in recent weeks. Um, because there's a lot of, of new risks that are out there for the economy, but but I would say up to this point, this this is, you know, I I, I think we have been close to uh, so far having a soft landing. But you know, the, the reality is with an economy is the the flight never really ends, right? You know, once you get to one spot, you, you keep moving forward right. one one way or another. So you know, it's not it's not guaranteed that uh, what's been a soft landing so far will will remain so. And I think there is a little bit of a distinction between Canada and the U.S. We we actually do have a somewhat weaker outlook for the Canadian economy than the U.S. economy. And much of that goes back to the vulnerability of the household sector here in Canada to the run-up in interest rates. We have a lot more household debt in Canada than they do in the U.S., and that's that's a relatively new phenomenon. That was not true 15 years ago. And our debt turns over a lot faster than the U.S. You know, a lot of Americans, of course, have 30-year mortgages. We don't have that here. Um, and so a run-up in interest rates will affect the Canadian consumer a bit more harshly and a bit quicker. And so we, we suspect the, the consumer is more likely to crumble here in Canada than, than in the U.S. So I still think it's a little bit of an open question. We don't officially have a recession in our forecast. Uh, I would almost call it a recessionette. Uh, we've got a couple <laughs> quarters of, of, of negative GDP, but they're, they're not, they're not uh, back-to-back. So it's more like a, a, a one-year period where the economy struggles to see any growth whatsoever. And we do 
uh, look for a little bit of a further rise in, in unemployment, but it really doesn't rise to the definition of, of a recession. Meanwhile, in the U.S. and our official forecast, we don't have a single quarter of, of negative GDP. We're, you know, make no mistake, we don't see strong growth, um, but we just don't think the consumer is is going to be under as much strain as it will be in Canada um, because of that that you know the the lower level of debt and the fact that they're they're locked in for uh, for a longer period of time. So we actually see the U.S. economy uh, stumbling through with with modest growth and. I guess if I had to define it, I, I would call what we have in our U.S. forecast as as a soft landing. And and by the way, last last comment I'll make on that is that that's a question uh, Jerome Powell, chair of the Fed, gets asked all the time. You know, is is that a soft landing and that you've got in your forecast? Um, and he he will not use that term. He's he's not that confident. And you know, frankly, there there's just such a range of possibilities, and there's a lot of different risks out there. Uh, facing both the Canadian and the U.S. economy, I don't think anybody's quite willing to stick their neck out and say that you know, yes, we have definitely reached a soft landing. But, but I, I, I would say when we look back over the past year, as I said earlier, we, I think the economy's held up a lot better than we could have realistically hoped for a year ago, given the uh, the dramatic run up in interest rates and and the kind of inflation we've been dealing with. And, and can we just play out the next year in Canada? Because, you know, I'm hearing higher for longer, uh, a struggle through the next year. Is this more like in in a weird way? I mean, I guess Corey and I are both in the the real estate world, so it's it's impacted us more dramatically than others. But it, it feels like we've been purgatory for a while here. Just, you know, when does this end? Uh, it sounds like in, in your mind, we got another year of kind of struggling through with seemingly data points that don't give you a clear indication of where we're headed? Yeah, and I think now is the time to turn to the uh, the inflation and, and the interest rate outlook because really that's that's going to determine whether we ultimately do go into something, you know, a, a bit more of a harder landing and, and exactly how long rates are going to have to stay at this level. It really really does come back to uh, to inflation. And unfortunately, you know, we've now had two months in a row where Canada's inflation rate has ticked up. You know, as a reminder, we got as low as 2.8%. Uh, back in uh, in June, that that actually was within just barely, but it was within the Bank of Canada's so-called comfort zone between one and three percent. But unfortunately, largely because gasoline prices have turned from being a, a friend to a foe, you know, we've now got a four percent headline inflation rate. And maybe most disturbingly, we actually saw a little bit of a pickup in in underlying or core inflation in in August as well. And you know, the Bank of Canada just can't be comfortable with that. The fact that inflation is both above the three and the high end of their their comfort zone at of you know above three percent, and even underlying inflation looks like it's starting to pick back up again too. So you know above and beyond whether the bank hikes one more time or not, I think the main message is they're going to have to stay at fairly high levels for some time. One change we've made to our forecast is we actually don't see them cutting interest rates now until the second half of next year. And even then, unless the economy really weakens abruptly, even then, I think it's going to be sort of a slow step down the staircase in bringing rates down there. I don't think they're going to slash them. I think it's going to be a relatively slow grind down. And and I guess the last piece of the puzzle is you know where where do rates ultimately settle out? You know when when we're when we're on the other side of this inflation episode, like how how low will rates get? Are they going to go back to the kind of levels that we became used to before 
the pandemic? And I think the answer is no. I don't think I don't think they're going back to those kind of levels. I think I think that period was an outlier. The, the decade before the pandemic, you know, keep in mind that we were still dealing with the aftermath of the uh, the global financial crisis and all you know the banking crisis in the U.S. and rates rates were probably unnaturally low for the uh, for the decade before the pandemic. So if we think of the Bank of Canada's overnight interest rate, you know, this this is pretty closely tied to all, all short term interest rates. Right now, it's five percent. We would expect on the other side of this. So when we look, let's say about two years from now. We would expect it to to gravitate back to a range of about two and a half to three percent, so you know considerably lower than we are here today, but not down to the kind of extreme lows that we had in the decade before the pandemic. Doug, Matt, as Matt alluded to, we, we were in the real estate side of the business, with an obviously interest rates have had an impact on it. What are you guys seeing at, on a national level? Has the real estate market maybe been more resilient than everyone thought, considering the run up in interest rates as quickly as that took place? I would say the short answer is yes, it, it, it has been uh, more resilient. You know, it, it, it's interesting and, and, and it's, it, it's kind of odd to say that uh, given, given the fact that national home prices, if we look at the Real Estate Association home price index, they, they actually did correct from the peak in early 22 to early 23 by a little bit more than 15%. I mean, that is a very serious correction. But I would say, if anything, that was less than many of us expected, given the kind of interest rate hikes. Like we and you know others were looking for a national decline of twenty to twenty-five percent, and of course there are big differences regionally in in terms of both that forecast and what actually happened. And you know there are a number of cities that that didn't see anything like that kind of decline, like Calgary. Calgary prices are actually higher than they were, you know, at the national peak in early twenty twenty-two. So that means some cities saw. You know, much more severe correction than that. I, I would say BC did better than average. You know, it wasn't quite in Calgary's league, but if I look at Vancouver and the, even Victoria to some extent, that area held up better than, say, central Canada, especially Ontario. Now, Ontario had the biggest boom during the pandemic, and it's had the biggest hangover since. So, Ontario's been, you know, sort of the high beta region of of the country. But I, I would say if we look at it nationally, you know, we did, we did get a nice little, you know, prices started to come back during the spring and uh, in early summer when uh, when the Bank of Canada, you know, looked like they, uh, they they might be done raising rates, which, you know, I think astonished a lot of us how quickly the housing market started to get back up off the mat again. And, you know, frankly, I think that's one of the reasons why the Bank of Canada started to raise the interest rates again, because housing did look suddenly, you know, so, so resilient. So, you know, it's it's almost like the real estate industry has to be a little bit careful what they hope for. Right. Because, you know, the bank is watching real estate very, very closely. And, and if real estate is a bit too healthy, then, you know, that actually raises the risk that the bank might raise rates further again. That's that's certainly one aspect of or one, one thing that's going to go into their decision of whether they actually do ultimately have to raise rates uh, one more time or not. Doug, have we seen the bottom in the residential and commercial real estate markets, I know, I know, I, I, I heard the past tense there a couple times. I don't know if that was that suggests as much. So, excellent question, and one I'm not a hundred percent confident answering. And you know, ultimately, of course, this this is the question that matters. I'm sure to everyone. I would hazard to guess that nationally, we may have seen the bottom because I don't believe the Bank of Canada is going to have to raise rates further from here. And if they do, it's it's another quarter. So. 
you know, mo- most of the, I believe most of the bad news on, on rates is, is already in. Um, I'm not a hundred percent convinced it's completely been absorbed in the, in the market, but I, I, am very impressed at how well the real estate market has, has, has dealt with the rise in rates, including the, you know, the two latest rate rate hikes by, by the bank of Canada. I, I suspect, and if we look at it nationally, we're, we're probably going to see the market more or less going sideways over the, uh, the next six to 12 months. Um, you know, again, it, there, there's going to be big differences by, uh, by regions. But if we look at it nationally, and by the way, it just so happens that Toronto, the Toronto area has been pretty close to the national average for the past year or so. I suspect that uh, things are going to be more or less fighting to a draw in terms of, uh, of of home prices. You know, a number of metrics suggest the market's actually relatively balanced now. Um, you know, it's neither a seller's nor a buyer's market at uh, at this point. And, uh, you know, of course, that pendulum has swung pretty wildly in uh, in the last 18 months uh, back and forth. But we now find ourselves, at least nationally, fairly well balanced. And so my, my best guess at this point is we probably have passed the worst. But I wouldn't expect a, a quick turn up, not, not, with, uh, not with long-term interest rates still under upward pressure here. Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join typing in VRP 2020. I'm just thinking about the something we've talked about a long t- for a, a number of times. We come back to it all the time on the podcast about uh, at least the Vancouver real estate bubble. It seems like the Canadian housing bubble now is, is a story. The IMF said that we were the riskiest of 27 developed countries. You've mentioned our household debt being way out of line with where it was, say, 15 years ago. What's BMO's take and I guess Doug Porter's take on 
on the idea of the the Canadian housing bubble and and how how at risk are we? So all I will say is I've been hearing the bubble commentary for a long, long time. You know, it wasn't so long ago that uh, people were fretting about overbuilding and and a crash in Canadian housing. You know, as recently as about 2012, 13, even 14. You know, and of course that you know history has proved made made a mockery of those uh, those kind of calls. Uh, you know, if, if anything, the you know the conventional wisdom has gone exactly to the other side. Now we have, you know, this uh, uh, desperate shortage of homes. You know, of course, no less uh, an authority than the CMHC is saying we have to build X million homes. You know, we're we're always going to be unaffordable. Um, by the way, we don't totally buy into that either. Um, we, we we don't think it's nearly that uh, that extreme. Mm. Um, I certainly think there is some there is some risk in in the housing market. You know, could it? Could it correct again? And, and I guess this goes back a little bit to the to the last question. There, there certainly is a risk, especially if the Bank of Canada gets frustrated with the the inflation outlook and and feels the need to uh, to move up short term rates even more. That would put the uh, the housing uh, sector at uh, at some further risk. But but I will say, um, you know, one thing the Canadian housing market has going for it, you know, not everybody would see this as a positive. But it does have going for it is just the incredibly strong population growth that is underpinning the market. Um, you know, in, interest rates over the near term will dominate that factor, but over the medium and longer term, demographics really do hold sway, and that that is a powerful source of support for the housing market. So, you know, I I, I think there's no question about that. Um, so, you know, even even if we did have a you know further correction in home prices, I suspect it wouldn't last that long. Like I, I don't think we're at the same kind of risk that uh, you know that the U.S. housing market went through in in 06, 07, 08, 09. I, I just don't see us repeating that that experience. Very, very different dynamics here in Canada than than the U.S. So that that's a long way of saying, yeah, I, I agree. There are some risks in the Canadian housing market, but there there are, there are some good reasons why uh, prices are so high in this country. Doug, we we talked earlier a little bit about where the rates are now, and there might be still a little bit of uptick there. And I, I guess it, from a doomsday scenario, what would potentially drive rates higher than than where they're at right now? I know you talked a little bit about how the government maybe be a little uncomfortable with the the core inflation numbers right now, and that. But if things don't improve or things continue to go in the opposite direction, what would be like a, a worst case scenario these rates might look at? Like where what what has to happen for the Canadian government to say, hey, or the BOC? to say, hey, we're going to continue to push rates up just, you know, until it's like almost unaffordable. Is that a scenario that potentially might play itself out? It is. And and I don't want to downplay that. That's certainly not our, our baseline view, but it, you know, I, I would I would give it about a 15 to 20% chance that, you know, we, we get into a situation where the bank really has to slam on the brakes. And I, I doubt they'd be alone. Like this, this would probably be more of a global issue, um, you know, where the Fed feels frustrated. You know that that there's just no progress on inflation. Like the last thing central banks want to see is a, an inflationary mindset really get locked in, and people just come to accept four to five percent inflation or higher. And you know what what could lead us there? Well, you know if we got another spike in uh, in oil prices or, or food prices, you know that that could trigger you know another wave of uh, of, of near term inflation that that feeds into broader inflation expectations. If if the North American economy remains robust. And you know, when we and we start to see very strong wage increases, that's sort of feed on itself as well. You know, maybe combined with strong energy prices, and and like uh, we we probably get an indication that underlying inflation, you know, not only is it not 
moderating. It's actually starting to pick back up again. And maybe we get another energy price spike. Those those are the kind of things that, that I get quite concerned about that, you know, the central bank just lose patience and, and feel like they have to have to slam on the brakes. And I, I don't totally rule that out. You know, as if, if you look at financial pricing, market pricing, or the consensus forecast of economists, almost all of us think that rates are going to come down next year, you know, to varying degrees. But almost everybody thinks that, you know, the Fed, the Bank of Canada are going to be at least trimming interest rates by, by late next year. And I would just throw out there, a lot of people thought that a year ago. <laughs> and, you know, here we are still talking about possible rate hikes. So... Like never say never. It, it it is possible that it's going to take you know more to to really quell inflation, and and I think that is a realistic risk. You know, one thing over the last couple of years, I think especially since COVID, uh, it seems like forecasting has gotten much more challenging. At least that's what it seems like. Is is it say from six months or a year ago or or even eighteen months? Is it getting easier to forecast in your mind now, uh, or does it remain Really, really challenging. I, I think I think it's easier. I, 2020 and 2021 were incredibly tough to forecast because, look, you know, basically what we were trying to forecast is where the disease was going and you know and, and how governments would react to it, and then you know how how would consumers and households and businesses then react to that? You know, there was, it was just like playing you know four dimensional chess, and frankly, it was a situation none of us had ever seen before. And then, you know, we had the other, the added element that could we trust the economic data that was being produced at, at the time? It was just so wild, you mm-hmm. know, you know, we'd never seen numbers like that. I, I would say we're back more in a conventional, a conventional world. It's, it's definitely a little bit different than, you know, what many of us have dealt with in the last 30 or 40 years, but it's not unheard of or unseen before. Like we're not having to guess, you know, whether COVID is going to have another wave or not. And, you know, whether the government's going to shut us down or not. Um, you know, we don't have to make those kind of forecasts anymore. So I, I, I think it's a bit, it's a bit easier now. Well, it's a lot easier now than it was in 2021. It's, it's, a, I would say it's a little bit tougher than it was before COVID, but not. I don't want to make excuses because we're we're dealing with more conventional factors that economists should be able to deal with now. So it's, it's, it's definitely a little trickier. Actually, uh, you know, the other other day, Jay Powell was asked that question directly in his in his press conference, and and he he said. He, he frankly said the Fed is having a harder time uh, forecasting these these days, and it's it's probably true. But but uh, I don't I don't think we should uh, you know you really use that as a crutch or an excuse. You know I think we should still get the broad directions right at the, at the end of the day because you know as as I said we're dealing dealing with much more conventional uh, forces now. You know, you know, Doug. I, I feel like in the last, especially in the real estate world, everybody's become interested in employment data and all these things that we never used to care about. Is there, is there one data point apart from say uh, the bank of Canada meeting about the uh, overnight rate that is, that you feel like is not talked about or understood enough uh, that everybody should be watching? It it depends how obscure you want to get, but, uh, but I would say the one indicator that, you know, frankly, even economists didn't, much attention to it was out there all the time, but we never really paid that much attention to it before the last couple of years. But it's become pretty important are the monthly job vacancy numbers, and both can and the U.S. produce them, and they give you a pretty good indicator of how just how tight the job market is. Now, a lot of people have said, you know, some of those job vacancy numbers are a bit bogus because you know firms might be advertising jobs that they don't actually have, 
you know, it's almost like a defensive measure to like keep a stable of possible workers. But, you know, even to me, that's a signal. If, if firms think they have to have, you know, you know, have to be able to looking just in case that gives you an idea that they think things are tight. And it's, it's interesting. The job vacancy numbers basically peak uh, in, in late 21 or early 22. That, that's when the job market was at its most tight. And in both countries, those numbers have come down, but there's still there's a, still a lot more vacant jobs reportedly than there were before the pandemic. And that's that's kind of a uh, to me a key to watch is is how quickly are those vacancies coming down? Uh, because that if if they really start to come down, that'll give the Fed and the Bank of Canada some sense that the job market's loosening and they don't really have to slam on the brakes much more. So that that's a new, somewhat more obscure indicator that uh, that that we're paying attention to, but. If you're talking about broad numbers, the, look, the two most important still out there are the monthly job numbers uh, that, that actually are separate from the job vacancy numbers. So the unemployment rate, I say, a person I think is the most, the single most important number in the, in the employment numbers, and and definitely the CPI report, the consumer price index, in, in both. You know, ultimately the bank of Canada is targeting inflation, so the consumer price index report. Is is the single most important economic report that that, that uh, is produced every single month? Last question for you, Doug, and we really appreciate your time. What will be the headline for the rest of twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four? So, uh, you know, I, I'm often asked what what keeps me awake at night, and frankly, it it, it isn't economic factors; it's geopolitical factors. And you know, what's what's the kind of thing that could tip us? In, into a downturn now, uh, like the economy is somewhat fragile at, at, at this point after the rate hikes. I, I think it is, you know, some of the geopolitical risks that are out there that are that are probably most threatening. And, and it's interesting, um, you know, of course, in 2024, a lot of countries are going to have elections, including the U.S. And I think realistically, next year will be dominated by the by the 24 election. I think that that's going to absolutely. You know, it's probably going to dominate economics in uh, in in the year ahead. Um, and frankly, the 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 election, the coming election, politics could even somewhat make the Fed and the Bank of Canada a bit shy, especially mm-hmm. the Fed, about raising interest rates further. You know, they do not want to become a political football. They don't want to become part of the conversation. Uh, the Bank of Canada at points has been part of the political conversation here in Canada. Uh, so in a word, I, I actually think politics and geopolitics are actually going to dominate over the next year. But that that's a bit out of my uh, out of my scope. Uh, I would I would say hopefully the story is going to be that inflation has come down a bit and we're finally looking at some interest rate relief by the end of next year. I hope so too, <laughs> Doug. I, <laughs> all of our all of our listeners uh, will be familiar with you, but if they're looking to find out more about what you're doing uh, yourself and over at uh, at BMO, uh, where's the best place to go? You you can just Google BMO Economics, and uh, almost all of what we produce uh, is is available on on our website. And I would encourage your listeners to 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 take a look and poke around. I think we have lots of uh, great stuff there. And, uh, you know, like I said, you don't need a password to uh, to read most of our stuff or look at our forecast. Well, Doug, thank you once again for taking the time to join us today. All of our listeners appreciate it no end. And we look forward to hopefully having you back on in the near future when we see the rate start going in the right direction. Corey, Matt, thanks for uh, thanks for having me and great talking to you. Excellent. Okay. Thanks so much, Doug. Take care. Bye now. Bye-bye.
So there you have it, folks. Corey and my discussion with Douglas Porter, chief economist at BMO. Going to be honest, I still haven't listened. You know what? Let me just say, this reminds me of certain conversations we have where it's so dense and action-packed that it's, it's, a, it's a short conversation, but it's almost like I, I know I'm going to listen to it twice. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I feel like that's, uh, it, it kind of reminds me of uh, Murtaza Haider. Murtaza Haider is a good, is like, there's, there's, those, I feel like Tom Davidoff is, is like that as well. Anyone, the, anyone, the people that you get, Ali Wolf was kind of like yeah. that as well. Like that, it's like the people that you get that are talking and thinking about these complicated issues. It reminds me, I was just listening to someone talk about this the other day about how tough it is to, the more you know, the harder it is to actually, um, the more you realize right. you don't know. Yeah, exactly. It's like that idea, right? And it, it's 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 really incredible because as we've been doing this show over the years, I feel like my perception of my own understanding of things peaked in year one. Yeah, I was <laughs> like, going to say. Like, I, that's where I felt like, oh man, I know everything about real estate. And then it was you, like, <laughs> as we kept going, it was like, wow, I know less than I thought I did and less than, and as you uncover more, you're like, what What's the idea? The further you get away from the shore, the deeper the water, right? And it's it's very much that that idea with uh, with with these economists is that they're talking about like really, really. There's so much. Oh, so and much this, and I I can't wait for you to hear Douglas Porter because it it's such a high level. Yeah, and it's so fluid and fluent, uh, the way right. he talks, it's just like, you ask him a question, you let him go. And it's like, wow, this is, uh, this is great. Well, so that's, no, it and was, that's my point is that when you get to that level where you're, where you realize how complicated some of these issues are, but you can still talk in a concise way around them. It's really impressive. So right. Absolutely. Um, amazing. I can't wait to listen to this one. Uh, Matt, what else do we got before we shut down for the day? What else do we have before we cut for the day, Adam? We have VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is our website where all things real estate related live including our back catalog that's we're coming on a decade and actually coming we're on 400 coming on episodes 400 episodes yeah no big deal so our back catalog the Vancouver commercial real estate podcast is also housed at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com which is where Douglas Porter originally it's crazy 400 weeks of doing this show almost yeah think about that i know it's unreal 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 actually you know what i don't know if the math works 400 weeks. Well, anyways, we'll do this after the show. Uh, go. <laughs> but it's all it's all there. If you want proof, it's all there at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We have the Livewire. This is our weekly mailer where we're sending out stats before anyone else, different types of stats. we got deal of the month. We have a bunch of pre-sale VIP access to pre-sales with some pretty insane incentives right now. We also have, of course, private client services. Yeah, Matt, because if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor-level information for free. It's available at your fingertips over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And what a good time to be using PCS to kind of monitor the market. Because, I mean, here's the thing. This market, it's like every week, it's tough to get. It is. It's, it's an really interesting moment. A, a, a real a solid pulse on the on the market right now. And I got to say, there's there's more inventory rising in certain areas. Certain areas seem to be softening. Other pockets, flurries of activity. Check it out. You just sign up for your account. You can monitor the areas you're interested in. You get to see the sold prices and you get to see what stuff is selling for. And that is what matters. So head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com and Matt, how can people, uh, well, what else did you want to say? Well, no, I just wanted to say, oh, yeah, you click buy with us right, to access us. PCS and you hit sell with us to access the sold plan, which we discussed. So if you want that most 
downloaded document we've ever produced that's sold with us on VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, and it emerges out of out of thin air once you uh, once you uh, enter your information. Paper bound. Paper bound. No, it's it's great. If you want to talk about that or anything else, of course, you can try me at 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We, of course, have that Kokomo line as well. Info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We'll have a fantastic week. And next week, we have an incredible episode. Who's on next week? Uh, you know what? It's John Friesen. John Friesen, CEO of Mission Group. I'm a huge John Friesen fan. I think a lot of our listeners are huge. John I may Friesen be the fans. biggest John Friesen fan. I feel like John Friesen, though, is it? He's one guy that makes you feel. It's like most people would not get calm sitting down with someone of his stature. Yeah, but he actually makes you calm just because of his way of being. He's I know, got a really zen-like uh, quality. Zen-like quality, great, uh, great perspective as well. Uh, yeah. So stay tuned for that. That's Tons next to week. Learn from that episode. We'll see you back here next week. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.